We're going to do a little bit of Bible calisthenics today. We're going to be looking at several different scriptures. Uh, so we're going to start with 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 54 through 58. Let me pray. Father, as we open up your word, we, we have a desperate need to hear from you today. So speak to us. Speak to us your truth in such a way that that we won't be the same. And I thank you for your grace and mercy and love. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever had a conversation like this? I have quite a few like this. How are you doing? Well, I'm here. I guess that beats the alternative. And the last time I had that conversation, I said, well, hold on. Does it? Does it beat the alternative? Right? It depends. <laughs> right? For the follower of Jesus Christ, the alternative's better. And we find this idea, although in a much different context, in the opening verse of the only rock song currently remembered for an overly enthusiastic cowbell part, which this drummer <laughs> loves, the fat fact. You'll, you'll recognize this song. All our times have gone, here but now they're gone. Seasons don't fear the reaper, nor do the wind, the sun, or the rain. We can be like they are. Come on, baby, don't fear the reaper. <laughs> now it's time for a disclaimer. The Bible in no way supports suicide, the taking of one's own life. There's nothing good about killing oneself. And sometimes a person with suicidal thoughts believes that their death will make everything better, but it actually makes everything worse, not better. The scripture views our lives in the hands of a sovereign God from conception to glorification. We do not give ourselves life and we have no right to take our own lives away. And so the main point of today's sermon is for the followers of Jesus let us not forget that the sting of death has been defeated. Our victory over death gives us power over unhealthy suicidal thoughts and, and all kinds of other thoughts that lead us astray. And instead of despair and hopelessness, we can experience victory through our relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 54 and 55 in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and the mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where's your sting? At a point in history, we are going to trade these bodies that are decaying every moment for a body that never decays. And if you've heard about my week, I am thankful for that, that fact so much this week. It's been a physical struggle this week. We will trade our mortal bodies for immortal bodies. And death will be defeated in a very personal way. Keeping on in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that sting, as you see in those verses, is connected to sin. As we are sharing the gospel, if you use a Romans road, it's a, there's a similar connection there in Romans 6.23, the first part. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn in life just without Christ is death. It says the power of sin is the law. The law of God reveals our sin and shows us our need for Jesus. Finishing off Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then where we, we really have made that confession, Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A couple of verses later, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Not in this life, not in eternity. So how has the sting of death been defeated? Well, the resurrection of Jesus has pulled the stinger right out of death. How? Well, it's two parts, really, to look at it. The first part is his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. The overwhelming debt of sin that we all have has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. And so our Savior, though, died, but he didn't stay dead. And his resurrection proves he can keep his promises that he's made to us. For example, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's quite a promise. And that's a promise a dead man can't keep. But Jesus has defeated sin. He's defeated death. All in a three-day time span. You see, death is not a terrifying threat to the follower of Jesus. Finishing the thought from 1 Corinthians 15, we'll look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We can have confidence in our lives of serving Jesus, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now let's uh, look at, turn to Ecclesiastes 7. And in the Old Testament, we can also read about a way of thinking that finds death defeated by a God-honoring life. Ecclesiastes 7, starting at verse 1, the first part of that verse says, A good name is better than a good ointment. A good name here refers to a person's good reputation. According to this wisdom statement, and a good ointment is referring to some kind of medicine, something that will make us feel better. So according to this wisdom statement, having a good reputation is better than having medicine that can bring healing to your physical body. But if we're honest, that's not how we typically think. 
if we were given a chance to receive something that could heal us or find a way to gain a good reputation, many of us would probably ask for the healing because we often think in terms of short-term benefits. So what are we missing? Why doesn't our thinking line up always with this wisdom statement? And perhaps we tend to focus on the material things of life instead of the eternal things of life. Why do we focus on the material things? Well, we can see them, but there's much more out there. The second part of verse 1 in Ecclesiastes 7 says, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It seems that Solomon still has in mind a person's reputation uh, as he finds greater value in the day of one's death than in their birth. And it's generally true that if a person lives a worthwhile life, the day of their death is more celebrated than their day, the day of their birth. For example, how many people do you think celebrated the birth of Billy Graham? Probably a small group of family and friends. But how many people do you think celebrated the life of Billy Graham at his funeral? Millions of people around the world. Why? Billy Graham's life touched people all over the world, helping many find salvation in Jesus Christ. His death was more celebrated than his birth due to the kind of life that he lived. Verse 2 goes on to say, It's better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Now again, this is not typically how we think. If we say, okay, you know, it's Friday night. Do you want to go um, to the funeral home, or would you like to go to Romanto's? <laughs> you know, if we're honest, we're thinking, well, I know which one I want to go to, and it, but this statement is, is countercultural to the current thinking of our country in, in many ways. One of the commentators writes on this verse, if we're looking, though, for signposts for living, guidance for living, we're more likely to gain insight when we're face-to-face -face with eternal things rather than in the company where the deeper realities of life are drowned in food and drink and levity. In other words, it's better to focus on the meaning of life than to seek the pleasures of life. But this is not how most people think, even in the church. And in this verse, Solomon seems to be valuing the mourning of life more than the pleasures of life. And it sounds a little bit strange as we read it. So I believe he's, he's right with that statement. And here's why I think he's right, that pleasures are temporary. Pleasures lead us to focus on the material world. They encourage us to chase after the hollow idol of happiness. Thinking about life, death, and eternal things, on the other hand, can edify our soul. And such thinking helps us to focus on the spiritual world. And it's better to be ready for eternity than to be happy today. Psalm 90.12 says, Teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. 
So we've looked at how death lost its sting. There's some biblical wisdom on the subject. But then a question comes to my mind, what can a bold confidence in God's victory over death lead us to do? How are you and I impacted by death losing its sting? And I think the answer is it leads us to bold words and actions honoring Jesus with no fear. In our biblical calisthenics, please turn to Acts 7 now. And I want to show you what I tell my uh, counseling students is a canyon scripture. It's going to be a big chunk of scripture that is going to really show you what it looks like when someone knows that death has lost its sting. Acts 7, verse 51. After giving the high priest and Sanhedrin a history lesson on the hand of God on their in their history, Stephen confronted their idolatrous mindsets, saying, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. He's not trying to make friends here, is he? <laughs> and he showed no signs of fear in confronting this, these misguided religious leaders, even though... He had to know it was going to make them angry. Verse 54 shows they did make them angry. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. When someone is gnashing their teeth at you, you have really made them angry. It's a, and in this time of severe conflict, though, Stephen focused on things eternal and not his circumstances. <laughs> Let's, let's start reading again at verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Their response, verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they'd driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he died. Stephen did not back down or hold back from sharing truth and even confronting people for their hard hearts because he did not fear the reaper. He was aware of the unseen spiritual world and he kept his focus on the things of heaven. If we adopt the biblical worldview that death has lost its sting, then we can live by faith in the unseen. Last year, 
a woman named Jane Marchewski, going by the stage name Nightbird, auditioned for America's Got Talent. In the interview preceding her performance, she told the judges, when they asked her, well, what kind of work do you do? She said she has been, she was not able to work because she was battling cancer. Then the judges asked her, well, how, how are you doing now? And she told them that at that moment she had cancer in her lungs, her spine, and her liver. And so the judges were amazed at this. And one of the judges said, you know, you, you have a glow about you. And I love her comment. She said, well, it's important that everyone knows that I am so much more than the bad things that happened to me. And then she sang an original song about her struggles with divorce and cancer. And the chorus repeated this phrase, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. When she finished the song, there was a moment of silence. And then the audience and judges jumped to their feet and thunderous applause filled the building. And the notoriously picky judge, Simon Cowell, was so impressed that he hit the golden buzzer, which means that she would automatically advance to the live shows. However, she did not get a chance to perform at the live shows because her struggles with cancer got worse. But her positive witness in the face of death was so inspirational to the people in that, in that place at that time and the ones who watched it on TV as well. And in interviews done in her last year in life, she noted that she was unashamed about her faith in God. And she recognized how he loves her, no matter her situation. She wrote, life is complicated. And friendship with God does not make life less complicated. But as I get older, I'm realizing that I would not have it any other way. Internally, I sometimes wish that life would be perfect rather than just occasionally good. But I think it's a mistake to presume that a perfect world would be better than a free world. Love needs a place to live and grow and prove itself, and that can only happen when tragedy is possible. She said that she was in constant communion with God through prayer and asking for his mercy when life was too much to bear. And this young woman died this year in February at the age of 31. She seemed to know that through her relationship with God, that death had lost its sting. One last scripture to close this message. And it's a verse I encourage you to memorize. It's pretty easy to memorize. And, and eight years ago on this date, I was lying in a hospital recovering from cancer surgery where they had removed one of my kidneys that ha had cancerous tumor on it. It had been a six month journey from the time that they detected the tumor to when I had the, ki uh, the kidney removed. And at the beginning of that process, I was reading through the Bible and this verse gave me such a peace through it. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ to die is gain. I really recommend you memorize that verse because we're all going to go through hard times. And remember, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Death has lost its sting for the follower of Jesus Christ. And we live in a win-win situation. To live is Christ means each day we're alive, we get the privilege 
of ministering in the name of Jesus. To die is gain means when we die, we go to heaven and it's much better. Indeed, death has lost its sting. Let's live out this biblical truth. Father, we thank you that the, the greatest weapons that the enemy can throw at us, sin and death, have been defeated by our Savior, Jesus. And we don't have to fear death. We can be unique among the people walking around in Bennington, Vermont. Because death has lost its sting for us because of Jesus. And we thank you for sending your son. In his name we pray. Amen.